Good morning. Uh, welcome to the presentation of Church Within the Church. My name is Kristen, and I'm a past elder here at Grace Commons, and I'm also the stated clerk of our presbytery. So, do all of us know that we're part of ECO now? Do you know what it stands for? Good job, Evangelical. <laughs> A covenant order of evangelical Presbyterians. So currently, ECO has almost 400 churches across the United States, and we uh, were organized into 22 presbyteries. So our presbytery is called, nothing fancy, Presbytery of the West. So in the Presbytery of the West, we have 13 churches and four church plants. So 13 churches. So we're one, Katie and Chuck are one with Corona. They have a church plant also. Um, I just wanted to give a shout out a little bit to what the presbytery looks like. Under PCUSA, it was a paid staff at the presbytery level. So it was so an eco. It's church, presbytery, and then our senior, our national eco uh, synod office. So in our presbytery of the West, we have tw about 25 volunteer positions. 13 churches, 25 volunteer positions, so it's a whole lot. But Grace Common, and we rotate them two to, every two to four, six years, we rotate in certain uh, areas. And I just wanted to let you know a little bit about how we're involved at the presbytery level. Um, I wanted to share with you that we have two people that work with our churches, are assigned to different churches in the presbytery to support and encourage them. And those people are past elder Kathy Baker, and retired pastor Mike Clark, who's with our church. We also have Shirley Giles Davis on staff. She's working with um, ordination candidates at the presbytery level. Uh, my husband Craig is an elder, and he's also our presbytery global advocate that deals with missions. Um, Tim, Tim Evans serves on our plan, our church planning commission or uh, team at the presbytery level. Ruth uh, McKee is in the room. She was the past clerk. She's now serving on the national level and the nominating committee. And last but not least is our own Randy Bear, who's actually a clerk at the Presbytery of the Northwest. So that's uh, lots going on there. So I want to welcome Katie and Chuck Fowler. So they um, they are both pastors and they co-pastor a church, Corona, what's called Corona, down at the Capitol Hill area. And then we're here, they're also gonna talk about Nova, which is our church plant. So we're excited about that because as you know, we're in the same area. We need to continue to attract young people. We have our Annex College program, we have our preschool daycare, but we're always looking for new ways to reach out. Um, Katie and Chuck were both uh, associated with the uh, Presbyterian Church in Colorado Springs before they came to Denver. I'll show you a picture. There are two cute little boys. And um, I don't know what else. I think I will uh, let them tell you a little bit about their mission and their passions down in Denver. So please welcome Katie and Chuck Fowler. thankful to get to be with you all this morning. Um, as Kristen said, my name is Katie. This is Chuck. Um, we have two little boys. They're at grandma's right now. So if we look well rested this weekend, it's because we are. <laughs> They're at grandma's. Uh, Sam 
Um, I'm holding him. He just turned three on Friday. And then Luke, uh, in Chuck's arms, he will be five in January. Um, as Kristen said, we are the pastors of two churches, uh, Corona Presbyterian in the Capitol Hill neighborhood of Denver, and then Corona's church plant, Nova Church. So we like to say that we have two churches, two children, and we are really tired. <laughs> so I'm originally uh, from the southeast, Georgia and Florida, so go Braves and go Gators. Uh, Chuck is from Colorado. Colorado native, born in southeastern Colorado. Uh, uh, La Junta area, so if you La Junta, so, <laughs> Junction, so. Yeah. Uh, we both went to Fuller Seminary. I went in Pasadena, and Chuck went in Colorado Springs, and we're both ordained eco-pastors. So I want to start with a statistic that Chuck and I come back to a lot. It's from Alan Roxborough in his book, Joining God, Remaking the Church, Changing the World. And he gives these stats based on when you were born, the likelihood that you're in church today. So we're going to do a little bit of fill in the blank. I want to hear from y'all guessing um, the percentages. So let's start with that first one. Um, if you were born between 1925 and 1945, just shout it out. Shout out a number. What do you think? 80. 80? Okay. 80, 60. Okay. 90. Okay. Okay. 50. Okay. All right. Let's go down a generation. So if you were born between 1946 and 1964, what do you think? 20. Okay. We're hitting all the numbers. 20, 30, 40. Okay. All right. Let's go to Gen X. If you were born between 1965 and 1983, what do you think? 25. 15. Okay. Alright, let's go millennials and Gen Z. Two. Two. Ten percent. Five. Okay. Okay. These are good guessers. Alright, let's these here are the stats that Alan Roxborough says. Okay. 1925, 1945, sixty percent chance that you're in church today. Obviously these numbers would probably need to be contextualized for places like Boulder and Denver. Um, if you were born between 1946 and 1964, there's a 40% chance you're in church today. 1965, 1983, 20% chance you're in church today. And if you're born after 1984, there's a less than 10% chance that you're in church today. So these numbers represent a huge problem. One of the huge problems the church in America is facing right now. How do we respond? What do we do about it? Well, I want us to go back for a minute to the story of the church planner who started your church, Sheldon Jackson. He planted this church and First Pres Cotter Springs and about 100, 100 other churches. And there's this really great story of his, uh, the forming of his call, this, this sense of the need to go out west. So Sheldon Jackson was at a Presbyterian meeting in Iowa. It was April. 1869, and before the Presbyterian meeting started, he went with two other pastors, and they climbed a bluff on the edge of the city. And looking out west, they could see portions of Nebraska and Iowa and South Dakota and Minnesota. In their mind's eye, they could see even further west, Colorado, Montana, and they thought about all of the people who were moving out west, this rapid movement of people out west. 
And they literally got down on their knees on that bluff, and they prayed. God, give us courage. God, give us a spirit of self-denial. Lead us, God. Because they felt called to go out west and plant churches. As one historian put it, the church, they felt, had to assume the responsibility of going after these people. That line is like burned in my memory. I love that line. The church had to assume the responsibility of going after these people. It's our responsibility to go after these people. Corona Church felt that. Chuck and I certainly felt that. This key question for us, who is going after these people? And we mean that literally, because we think about God revealed in Jesus Christ, the character of God. And what does God do? Well, we see this very clearly in Luke 15, in the parable of the prodigal son. Son, still a long way off. And what does the father do? Takes off running. Not waiting for the son to get to his front door, start some form of an apology, do a little groveling, get yourself cleaned up. No, the father takes off running. It's this loving pursuit of the living God who goes after us. Who's going after these people? Because you saw the stats. Less than 10% of those born after 1984 are in church today. And you have likely heard other stats. The rise of the nuns, those who claim no religious affiliation. You likely have your own stories. Grandkids, kids, neighbors, friends, people who are no longer part of a church community or maybe never were in the first place. Who's going after these people? A ministry of loving pursuit. So a little bit of Corona Church's story. Corona Church was started in 1904. Um, 11 people started the church. They started meeting in a garage that's about a block from where Chuck and I live right now. Uh, people will ask me, ask us in the past couple years, like, did you recently decide on the name Corona? And we're like, no. <laughs> they picked it in 1904 because at the time, the surrounding neighborhood was called Corona and the public school right across the street was called Corona as well. And perhaps indicative of the changing neighborhood, the neighborhood is no longer called Corona, it's called Capitol Hill, and the school across the street is no longer called Corona, it's called Dora Moore School. But there's been other changes in the neighborhood, certainly changes in demographics, increasingly uh, younger populations moving into the neighborhood. Cap Hill has the sixth largest share of millennials in the country, Denver as a whole, about 33% are millennials. And a couple of stories, I think, from Corona's history sort of highlight uh, some of the shifts they were experiencing. So President Eisenhower, during his presidency, he and his wife would attend Corona Presbyterian during the summers. His wife had attended that church growing up. She had gone to the school across the street. And so they would come during the summer, and you would, we've heard stories of uh, when President Eisenhower was there, at a certain point, they would lock the building down, and the Secret Service, you know, would kind of take over, and the president would come in. And so if you were late for church that day... You got, you got locked out. You got locked out. And there would even be um, speakers, external speakers. And so people would gather outside of the church when President Eisenhower was there and hear the message that was being broadcast out into the street. And you think about that, the 1950s sort of heyday of Christendom in America, of church attendance. My friend will tell a way of illustrating this. He'll say, you know, at that time period, if someone moved into your neighborhood, if someone moved in next door, 
what would you do? Well, you would make a casserole, and then you would walk over to introduce yourself, to give them the casserole, and you would say, you would ask them, where do you go to church? Because the assumption was that they went to church. You were just asking, are you Baptist? <laughs> are you Lutheran? Are you Presbyterian? Are you Methodist? The assumption is that they went to church. At that point in time, uh, the Christian faith, the Christian church, sort of had this position of, of privilege in the center of society and culture. There was sort of this assumption that you were engaged in the church. But of course, times have shifted. We've moved into a post-Christendom era. It's not the 1950s anymore. It's not the 1990s anymore. And I think that's something that Corona had to wrestle with, this history they had, and reckoning with what does it mean today to be faithful to God's mission. So another way of illustrating that is during that same time period, from about the 1930s, 1970s, there was this movement within Corona Church of sending young adults out to serve overseas. So during those roughly four or five decades, 50 young adults from the Corona Church felt the call of God to go serve as a missionary overseas. They love this part of their story. It's a beautiful legacy, right? That people responding to the Spirit and going to be missionaries. But they started to recognize about seven, eight years ago, wait a minute, the mission field has come home. We have this history of sending out missionaries, but we're the missionaries. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And so there was this, this reckoning of, wait, we're talking about our own neighborhoods. We're talking about our own city. This is the mission field. So Corona Church had been in decline for the past uh, few decades. And about 10 years ago, when their last senior pastor left, they hit this point of discernment. Okay, what's next? What are we going to do with the resources we have left? We want a gospel presence in this neighborhood. Maybe it's true over here, like it is in Denver, that we see church buildings getting sold and becoming Airbnbs or clubs or something else. And they said, we want a gospel presence at Aiden and Downing. We want our neighbors to know Jesus. We want the gospel legacy of Corona Church to continue. What's next? So at that point, a lot of wrestling, a lot of discernment, and they decided to plant a new church. And that's where their story starts to intersect with ours. Chuck and I were living in Colorado Springs. I was serving as a pastor at First Pres Colorado Springs. Uh, Chuck was a stay-at-home dad and finishing seminary and going through the ordination process with ECO. And we recognized within our own stories that we loved the historical rooted church. We loved the inherited church, what God has done and is doing uh, through the historical rooted church. And we recognize a need for innovative forms of church, for reimagining, for this question to really be wrestled with, who's going after these people? And so we're recognizing within ourselves that sort of dual um, love and dual call. And so that's where uh, we began talks with Corona Church to come and to be their pastors, uh, but really they were setting up our job description so that we had tons of time and freedom to focus on Nova Church and to planting uh, Nova Church. So the early days of Nova, we moved to the neighborhood in uh, 2019. That's little Sammy. He was six months when we moved. Um, and, and really for us, we couldn't imagine planting this church any other way than moving into the neighborhood. That was really important to us that we live in that neighborhood amongst and with the people that we were trying to reach. And so a key question for us was, what does it look like to cultivate an embedded presence? to have our, our rhythms of our life, our natural rhythms, 
be in that neighborhood. Um, so we live five blocks from the church building. Our son goes to preschool at Corona School, now Dora Moore School. He started this year. Uh, our dentist is on the same block as our condo. We get our hair cut a couple blocks away. We can walk to the grocery store. We can get to meet people. I love just walking around the neighborhood. I love it when I have like consecutive days. I love a streak of how many days do I run into someone on the street. I love getting to see people and neighbors um, and meet people. Our red stroller gets a little bit of attention. Our red stroller is very eye-catching. Because if you have a dog or if you have a baby, people will stop and talk to you. Those are the, <laughs> those are the ways. Um, so just the other day, I was walking by the school, and my son was on the playground. So of course, I ran up to the fence so I could say hi. And I had just come from my office, so I had some books in my arm to do a little sermon prep. And the playground attendant comes over, and he's talking to me, and he notices the books in my arms, and he starts asking questions about it. And just in three minutes, by the fence of the playground, he tells me a story of growing up in the church, and growing up a Christian, and his three sons being baptized, and he's no longer part of the church. And just started this little conversation at the fence at the playground. And I love that my job as a pastor at Nova is to do exactly that. Like walk slowly through the neighborhood and learn people's stories and add his name to a note on my phone so I can start praying for him and see what God does from there. So Nova started as a Bible study in our apartment late summer 2019, trying to meet folks who are followers of Jesus, to invite them into that community, to consider it being a part of what we're doing, trying to connect with folks who are not followers of Jesus, trying to build friendships um, with those around us. Uh, COVID hit, of course, March 2020. So we moved to Zoom and outside as much as we could uh, to the park. Fall 2020, we moved back to Zoom again. Um, and then in that process, we were also forming a core team. So we had a group of young adults who uh, we're part of this core team with us to launch this church, uh, to cultivate the community of Nova together. It was in March of this year that we launched our public uh, worship gathering. Um, and that was important for us. We learned from other people in Denver that there can be a skepticism towards some sort of religious activity in your home. Like that can feel a little too intimate, like too, um, too much to cross, too many barriers to cross. And so we thought it was important to start a public worship gathering that we can invite people into that sort of setting. So here are some questions that we've been wrestling with. I mean, I've already named a couple in terms of um, who's going after these people and what does it look like to cultivate an embedded presence. But some other questions that Chuck and I are wrestling with. Um, and I'll add, for the embedded presence, it's not just for me and Chuck. Like our whole congregation, we're trying to experience formation and discipleship in the way that recognizes that Jesus is present and at work Always. Jesus is present and at work. And it's our task to pay attention and to participate and to embrace our ordinary everyday lives as the very sphere where the kingdom of God is breaking in. So, some other questions that we're asking. What if slow is the new fast? I like fast. I don't know about you. Um, we were driving over here and I'm like, Chuck, I think you can drive a little faster. <laughs> we're running late. It's like... What if slow is the new fast? Someone told us not too long ago, they said to us, don't overestimate what you can do in one year. And don't underestimate what you can do in 10 years. Don't overestimate what you can do in one year. 
don't underestimate what you can do in 10 years. Because you think about the work of the gospel, cultivating community, it's not fast. Building relationships, sharing the gospel, forming trust, forming partnerships, working for the flourishing of a particular place, not fast. Early on when we were trying to discern, Chuck and I, if we were going to say yes to this and do this, we watched a, a documentary called Godspeed. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, someone's seen it. Yes. Uh, great documentary, available for free um, online, Godspeed. And it tells the story of a priest in Scotland. Let's see how many of these details I can remember. Um, and he's there, and he's learning how to slow down. Like his congregation is teaching him how to slow down and be present with people. And he's given this advice of, if you want to be a pastor, find a parish. Like, find that little plot of land where God is calling you to invest and to be present and to cultivate something for the sake of the kingdom. And he names this idea that, you know, Jesus walked everywhere in his ministry, right? How fast do human beings walk? About three miles an hour. Well, that seems to be the pace of God. Three miles an hour. That's pretty slow. And we watched this, me and Chuck, we watched this documentary and we're like, yes, <laughs> we want that. That's how we want to pastor. That's what we want to be about. What if slow is the new fast? Okay, second question we've been wrestling with. What if small is the new big? What if small is the new big? So, um, let's start by playing a little bit of a game. Um, I'm going to sing a song and, and you uh, kind of jump in if, if you can, all right? Here's a story of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. Okay, Brady Bunch. Okay, so if, um, if you are a, a baby boomer, you grew up with, with three or four channels on your television. And the entire culture, that's what everyone was watching. Now you think about Gen X. Gen X, suddenly you have cable, and now there's 100 choices, um, 200 choices, now thousands of choices, okay? Um, when you have the millennial generation, the millennial generation came of age in the era of social media, and so now those channels are even more dispersed. Uh, you have algorithms that, that feed you um, content that is tailored to you, and even more so now when you look at Gen Z and um, social media like TikTok, where we're literally, um, TikTok is feeding um, Gen Z short little videos, but they're all custom, um, uh, the algorithm feeds custom videos to these uh, particular uh, users. And so, at one point in time, there was this mass culture, there were these common touchstones. Progressively, uh, that has, uh, that, those common touchstones have become more dispersed. And so think now about the history of evangelicalism and, and the evangelical tradition that, that we're part of. The Billy Graham Crusades took root in the era of these shared collective touchstones where, where there was a, a common culture that we all participated in. Today, that doesn't really exist anymore. 
there's, there's not one common culture, there's actually multiple smaller cultures. And so this idea of bringing people together in, in the mass is actually much more challenging than, than it used to be. Because now we have these smaller circles, these smaller collectives of people that rally around these common cultures. So the third question, that really these all relate. Um, what if slow is the new fast? What if small is the new big? And what if trust is the first step? And again, all these questions relate. Really that third question is a derivative of the first two. Of course, we live in a culture post-Christianum. Uh, there's a lack of trust in a lot of different ways. Uh, a lack of trust in institutions, not just the church, but across the board. Death of the expert. Certainly clergy are not highly trusted in our culture. What if trust is the first step? So a model that we come back to a lot, Chuck and, Chuck and myself, is from Don Everts, an old Boulder guy, maybe some of you guys know him, and Doug Shop. And they did work with InterVarsity on college campuses here in Boulder and California. And as they were seeing postmodern skeptics come to faith, they noticed something. And it wasn't a formula. It wasn't a, a linear, guaranteed, this is how it happens. But they were noticing patterns of postmodern skeptics becoming followers of Jesus. And what I particularly want to highlight for you today is this first step. That trust had to be built. For postmodern people, the first inclination was not to say, will you come to church with me on Sunday? But will you go get dinner with me? Will you enter, like, we need to enter into a process of building trust, of listening and learning people's stories without an agenda, people aren't projects, that process of building trust. From there, curiosity can awaken, people can become open to change, genuinely seeking after God, but it starts with trust. And so we very much have that in mind in our ministry of trying to show up and keep showing up and keep being faithful and trying to find ways to love and serve our neighbors. So a couple months ago, we threw a block party. Corona Church and Nova Church teamed up to throw a block party for our neighbors. And you know, it wasn't, we didn't do it with this thought of, well, come tomorrow, come Sunday, they're all gonna come to our church. Like, no, we knew this is a long process. What if slow is the new fast? What if trust is the first step? That we can keep showing up and keep being faithful and keep loving without agenda and trying to learn names and trying to learn stories and trying to get contact info and slowly over time build trust and build relationships. When we were advertising for the block party, there's a Capitol Hill neighborhood group on Facebook that I'm part of. And we had sent out mailers to all of our neighbors, little, little mailers inviting them to the block party. And so someone posted on the Facebook group, did y'all get this flyer? Who's going to this party? And so I'm like, you know, stalking this, this little page to figure out what people say. And someone said, hey, heads up. Um, last time there was a party there, the, the church threw it. And so I just want to give you a trigger warning if that's going to be really hard for you, because it would be for me. So I just want you to know it's probably a church throwing it. And so I thought a little bit about what to say. And then I responded to this woman and said, um, hey, I'm the pastor at that church. It is the church throwing the party. And I know this is a really small statement for me to make, but I just want you to know I'm really sorry for the trauma that you experienced. But it's this process of trying to build trust. It's slow. 
A lot of people, you know, we, this word deconstruction, we talk about that a lot, of people's um, story with the church. Sometimes it's trauma, sometimes it's hurt, sometimes it's just um, doesn't have any connection or doesn't have any meaning. But this ability to walk with people uh, through their story and what they're processing. In the book of Acts, that was a pre-Christian culture, right? So people, followers of Jesus are running around and they're telling people about the Messiah. God has raised him from the dead. You need to respond. But we're in a post-Christian culture. So very often our task is walking with people as they're going through deconstruction or reimagining or whatever it is in their journey. And that takes trust to be able to not say anything Christian, <laughs> but listen and love. So I'll tell you a little bit more about NOVA. Our vision as a church is to see signs of Christ renewal in central Denver and beyond. The core conviction of our church is that Jesus is making all things new. And that means there's hope right here and right now for new things to break through. And so what does it look like when the transforming presence of Jesus is at work in us and through us? What does it look like? Well, these five signs that we name Community, beauty, justice, wholeness, and worship. When the transforming presence of Jesus is at work in us and through us, community is formed. People are called out of isolation into the joy of being known by God and by others. Beauty is created. Jesus is the source of all beauty. When beautiful works, whether it's a garden or a poem or a really good meal, it speaks of the beautiful one. Justice is sought after the wrongs in the world, that Jesus is doing something about it, and we're called to join him. Wholeness, transformation in our own stories, our own places of wounds, transforming presence of Jesus does something in us, whether that's through Bible study or therapy, spiritual direction, certainly in the context of community, and then worship. We want to see hearts awakened to the risen Jesus, people enjoying life with God a life of worship. So for us, a big thing, oh, I'll say this too, this is a quote we come back to a lot. In the past century, people came to faith in Christ through explanation. In this century, people will come to faith through demonstration. Again, kind of tying together all these themes of an embedded presence and building trust, and we want to see signs of Christ's renewal. Showing up and keep showing up and being faithful. So for us, a big deal is community. Um, first and foremost, because that's what God is doing, forming a people for himself. There's a lot of um, letting go of the individualistic notions um, of the American life, because God is forming a people, a community. But it also has to do with the population that we're trying to reach. So Denver has a young population, but it's very transient. So people are moving to Denver, which means they're moving away from family or where they grew up. They move for the mountains, they move for a job or for grad school, and so they find themselves in a beautiful city, a new city, and they're lonely. And try to figure out, oh yeah, how do I make friends? <laughs> and so we've said from the beginning, our prayer for Nova is that it would be an antidote to loneliness. That it would be an antidote to loneliness that so many of us feel. Um, certainly this was true before COVID, and it only got exasperated through the pandemic. So our life together is built around community. How do we follow Jesus together? So worship gatherings, we meet Sunday nights at 5. Um, 
And our whole setup of our gathering is really trying to emphasize community. We share a meal once a month together. Uh, the layout of our room is in the rounds, so people are not just like focused on one person talking, but we're even the, the setup of our chairs is trying to uh, remind each other that this is about the people of God coming into the presence of God. And we take up these practices that God's people have been taking up for centuries, believing the Spirit is at work as we do so. Discipleship groups, just smaller pockets of community where we can pay attention to the grace of God that's at work in our lives and be responsive. And then wild branches. Um, that's where we say we want to figure out how to be the church outside the walls of the church. How to see uh, what God is doing and be a part of it. To see the kingdom breaking out around dinner tables and on hiking trails and in book clubs and in workout groups. Because the question for us really in that is, what about those who aren't interested in conventional forms of church? We kept saying, you know, when we launched our Sunday night service, our, our worship gathering, that most of our neighbors could care less. Like, we think it's really important for the people of God to gather. We think the practices we share, the Spirit is doing something in us and shaping us and forming us, and we're responding to the presence of God, but the vast majority of our neighbors aren't coming. Who's going after those people? What about those who aren't interested in conventional forms of church? How are we reimagining? What is the church? What are smaller expressions of church? Going back to what Chuck was saying, in a TikTok generation, people aren't all signing up to go to a Billy Graham crusade anymore. What are these smaller expressions of church, more localized and contextualized? And so we're trying to figure that out, what that looks like. Early experiment was Chuck and a guy named Luke from our community, they started a fitness and friends meetup group, meetup.com. This was like during the height of the pandemic, and so people were like, thank you for getting me out of my apartments. I will work out six feet apart from you. I don't care, I see people. Some guys from Nova, um, they're leading something called Beer in the Bible right now. It's also a meetup group, uh, meeting at a local coffee shop, inviting people who have questions, who wanna talk about God. Uh, who are angry with God or confused or whatever, a space to have conversation, have honest conversation in a safe spot. Trying to figure out how do we keep equipping our own people um, to be present in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods, wherever God has them. And then the other question we continue to ask is this, how are we actually formed as God's people? What does formation actually look like? What are the practices and the habits that we take up as a community that lead us more and more to God and to what God is doing in our world? And so every Sunday when we gather, we end with the same blessing. It's a benediction from Richard Halverson. He's a former chaplain at the U.S. Senate. Um, you can see it's on our signs so when people leave. And the benediction, it says, you go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. The very Christ who fills you has something he wants to do through you, right where you are. Believe this, and go in God's love, and God's grace, and God's power. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So we get to speak these words over our people Sunday after Sunday, trying to shape our life and form our life together, that we're receiving this and embracing it, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Thanks for listening as we share a little bit about NOVA. I do want to give a shout out um, to Grace Commons Foundation. Um, Chuck and I at NOVA, we were recently awarded a grant from the Grace Commons Foundation. 
uh, to support our residency program. We bring on residents from Denver Seminary getting um, to provide a leadership development and learning experience for them. So we're really thankful for the support from Grace Commons Foundation. So I'll say thank you to you all as well. I think we're going to enter into a time of questions, um, reflections. If you guys have any questions. If anyone has a question, please raise your hand and I'll turn to you. I was just curious, what is the age group of people that came to your first presentation? Today. Oh, today. Because oh, I mean, obviously we all go to early service and most of us have gray hair. So I was curious who, who came to your first presentation. Were, were there yeah. people your age or younger people or? Um, Craig, do you know? Probably about the same. I would say it's uh, similar, but we had a lot of our millennial staff in the morning session. So we had Ash and, and a number of others that were here this morning. Um, but in general, similar demographic. So I'm curious about the space for your Nova Church, because um, we've heard that a lot of people are afraid to even come into a regular church. Are you in a different space? Yeah, good question. Yeah, so we do meet, um, this space used to be the multi-purpose room of Chrono Church. And we did some renovation, particularly trying to design it um, with a younger generation in mind. Um, I, think, I think both are true. I mean, I think we were intentional in the decor and the aesthetics, um, trying to keep in mind younger generations. But I think, to a certain extent, yeah, there's people who don't feel comfortable you know, coming to a church. We um, recently were getting to provide space for the PTSA across the street, and they're meeting in our building. And one of the members of the PTSA was just like, do you think people have a hard time coming because it's in a church building? And I was like, maybe. Like, I mean, that's part of like what we're um, facing. And so I think that's why we try to hold the both hand. We kind of see ourselves as a hybrid of, we have a centralized worship gathering, but we're also trying to figure out how do we keep sending our people out to be present in these other places where we are crossing the barriers and not expecting people to cross barriers to come to us. So wanting that trajectory outward as well. So this, this room is actually in your building? Right, this is um, part of Corona Church's building, yep. Hi, um, I just had a question. I really appreciated um, the way you spoke about inviting people in who don't already know Jesus. Um, but I had a question about how to encourage people who are believers to go out and embed themselves and try to cultivate and take the time um, working with like college students, some of them just like want to see the fruit now and they want to harvest that, which is awesome. But like, how can we help the people that we're serving learn to be patient and take the time when it seems like so much of, especially for younger people, the way that we live goes really counter to that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's it's a great question, and it made me think of just in general the process of formation for all of us. I mean, it's all of this like, what does it mean to follow the way of Jesus? where there are so many things that Jesus says that are very countercultural. Like, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Real small. <laughs> or, or yeast, or whatever. So I think for all of us, it is this our ongoing discipleship. What does it mean to be an apprentice to Jesus? And how does that challenge our, our thinking of how the world works? I mean, Chuck alluded to that, you know, the American church. Um, we kind of think success is big and fast. Maybe. 
But there's also a lot that would indicate the way of Jesus is slow <laughs> and deeply relational um, and face-to-face, -face, right? So I think for me, maybe more specifically to your question, I'm really drawn to what are the practices that help us, you know, because even like me and my, my church background and where I've done ministry, like my go-to move will be a program, right? Like how do I start a program for that? And I felt like when I first moved to Capitol Hill, I felt like um, I'm right-handed and I've always thrown right-handed and I felt like I was learning how to throw left-handed. And it felt clumsy, you know? And it doesn't feel as clumsy two years in, but, it, but there's still that like relearning. And so I think practices help us. Like, okay, I'm gonna share one meal with a, with a person this week or I'm gonna to try to learn one story. Like what are the habits um, and practices that invite us to engage, to not be passive, to be present to what God's doing, but not like usurping control and trying to make something happen. I experience great joy when I hear your presentation because I sense the joy that you and your husband feel in starting this group, and I want to commend you for doing so. Thank you. Thanks. So uh, I want to know what the rest of the Corona Church's uh, worship looks like and how uh, how the support from the church has been for you all. Yeah. Um, yeah, great question. I, I mean, I would say, first of all, I, I tell them all the time, like, how brave of you all? I mean, how courageous, you know, to hit this point, this juncture, what are we going to do next? Uh, do we just let our resources keep going until there are none? And they're like, no, we want a gospel presence here. We want um, people in our neighborhood to know Jesus. And so I think it was very uh, courageous what they decided to do and a testimony to their willingness to risk. Um, I think a lot of people didn't know exactly what that meant. Um, what's a church plant? You know, all those sort of things. Um, so we're still trying to figure out what the relationship between the two churches is. Um, certainly there has been lots of prayer, um, lots of help, you know, when we were renovating that space. A lot of people from Corona helping with that. Um, helping prepare that space, um, financial support, things like that. There hasn't been as much relational connection. There's been a few people from Corona Church who've been part of NOVA, um, but by and large, um, it's just been new people who are in NOVA. And so we're at a point right now um, working with a consultant and coaches out of Fuller Seminary, trying to navigate uh, what's the relationship between the two churches. So I think the first couple years, we kind of just did it, and there was ambiguity, and that was okay but we're hitting a point where we need more clarity, um, the relationship between the two churches, and what's next for Corona as they've launched NOVA. Are you the designated uh, pastors from Corona to reach these young people? Yeah, yeah, good question. Yeah, so Chuck and I are the pastors of Corona Church, um, and then the pastors of NOVA Church as well. And so they set up our call, our job description, for Corona Church, trying to free um, our time up to focus on NOVA. So our focus is definitely on NOVA, uh, but we're pastors of both. So for example, at Corona Church, um, Chuck and I preach on average once a month there, and then we have guest preachers preaching other times. And we even do the same teaching series for both churches. Um, Chuck and I couldn't figure out yet how to do 
two sermons for two churches. And so we do, we might change the sermon a little bit, but a lot of the prep is the same for both churches. Because here at um, Grace Commons, we used to have a pastor that was designated strictly for singles of that age of 20 to 40-year-olds, and they disbanded that. That's why I was asking yeah. the question. I'm going to let Chuck, a question was raised in the first hour that I think was important about kind of why we planted a church, and um, I'm going to let Chuck speak to that. Yeah, one of, the, one of the questions that came up in the first session was, you know, why, why plant a new church rather than try to change a Corona Church, Corona Presbyterian? Why, why couldn't Corona church um, adapt in order to be able to be more welcoming to people of um, a younger demographic. Uh, so the first thing that's important to say is that I, that decision actually wasn't made by Katie and I. That was a decision that was made by Corona Church before we even got there, and it was actually written into our terms of call, into our job description. That's actually part of what drew us to the position in the first place. Um, was was this idea of starting being um, yoked to an existing church, but uh, freed up to innovate and try something new. And that, that unique relationship was really compelling to us. But back to the question, why not try to revitalize Corona Church? Why plant something new? And I think one of the key things to recognize is Nova Church is not the 5 p.m. service of Corona. It's, it's not a, um, a young adult ministry. It's its, it's own church. Um, and the goal, ultimately, is for NOVA to become self-governing one day in the future, to become a self-sustaining church. And so that, that's um, one of the reasons that it's distinct. And I think what has made NOVA get the traction that it's gotten is the fact that the, the, the core group of young people that have come together around this vision of NOVA, they're in it because they feel like they have ownership. They feel like they are able to shape what they're participating in. And so that's really key. We at, at Corona didn't just create something that they thought that younger people would want. They involved, well, they basically said, this is, this is yours to create and to shape. And we're gonna provide some gui guidelines and some um, protection in that, but like, it's yours to shape. So I think that's one of the reasons that it's worked. Um, and if we tried to do it the other way around, it would have been much more challenging. I think another key thing to say is with Corona, if we were um, trying to make kind of incremental changes at Corona Church um, in order to become more welcoming to be able to receive this younger group of people in. Um, the challenge with that is, I mean, change is hard. No one likes change. Change is, is painful. And so if we were like, okay, this is the list of changes that we, we need to make at Corona Church in order to be able to reach this next generation, we would, Katie and I would have been spending all our time and all our effort pastoring the existing congregation through those changes, rather than being able to invest our time in connecting with this younger group. 
appreciate what you guys had to say. I just was wondering about, uh, when you talk about trust being a key piece, uh, kind of two questions. What uh, is potentially an on-ramp from doing something like the workout class uh, to potentially the next step, uh, if that even is the pattern? So what's kind of an on-ramp? And then two, how do you measure building trust? You know, just kind of asking the question of success maybe in the past has been they came to a program, that might not necessarily be the question you've been asking more. So just trying to figure out how do you measure success and then what are some on-ramps to trust building? Um, Don Everts, who wrote, uh, it's called I Once Was Lost, where the five thresholds come from. He wrote another book um, called The Reluctant Witness. And it talks about kind of that trust phase where this is true for any friendship, any relationship, right? And I heard him speak on this one time, and he said, some of y'all might know how to make friends. It might be intuitive to you. He was like, but I don't know how. I need like a diagram. I need a chart. And he said, at first, of course, in any relationship, there's, there's small talk, right? Like you're talking about things that are more surface level. But part of a marker of trust being built is when people are willing to share more vulnerably and more of um, uh, the hard parts in their story. So I think that's one marker I kind of have in my mind of it's going past the... Where'd you move from? What do you What do you do for a living? And and not even just that. I mean, that might go on for a while, where we keep talking about uh, whatever um, going on in life that's a little bit more casual. But when you're moving deeper into someone sharing their struggles and their pain, um, and us doing the same, right? Like that vulnerability would be one marker that I would look to. I think this is where we're still figuring things out as far as you know what comes next after the relational. Um, phase of it, how do we um, cultivate spiritual conversations and invite people into spiritual conversations. Um, some of what we kind of hear others doing um, are things like a discovery Bible study where you're inviting up more like um, folks who are, uh, have questions, inviting people to explore um, who Jesus is and what are some of the next steps. I think we're trying to figure that out when you start with like a workout group, how do you move um, intentionally in the direction of, of spiritual conversations. But I would say, um, in the context of that workout group, um, one of the practices we started from the very beginning was after we would do the workout and uh, we're kind of cooling down afterwards, we would go around the circle and we would name what's one thing that you're grateful for today. Um, it's a very simple, kind of low-level um, uh, practice, but when you start to ask that question, what am I thankful for, the second question is, that lies behind that is, well, if I'm thankful, who am I thankful to? Um, it, it, it at least opens up some possibilities and some different uh, ways of thinking. And, and, and I, I would say that that practice of doing that with that group opened up some possibilities, several conversations about like spiritual matters, um, history with the church. And um, yeah, I, I was able to be there and just listen to people and talk and share and yeah, uh, yes, simple practices like that can be a bridge. We're still figuring out how to complete the bridge. We're, you know, we're a work in process, so. Hi, Katie, I'm Michelle Marie from Alpha in Springs. Hi, yes, hi. Good to see you. You too. I'm curious about the uh, ethnic diversity that you see in that area in Capitol Hill, and do you find that the people that have come to help you work and start Nova, are, is it representative of the environment in which you're because I just don't know the area. Yeah, that's a great question. 
So Capitol Hill itself is a predominantly white neighborhood. Um, and so that's the immediate area. Um, but the school across the street is very, very diverse. And so there's um, some pockets of diversity. I think that's certainly a, a question for us, an ongoing question for us, certainly as two white pastors uh, leading the church. Like, how do we um, lead with like sensitivity and wanting to have a diverse congregation and have these conversations, certainly with our church, of what does it mean um, to pursue justice in that way and be a congregation that's recognizing the beauty of diversity. So, so here's a, a sort of a sideways question. By now, I assume all the participants understand your department of the church. Correct? Um, some would not, no. Some would not, yeah. Okay, maybe that's key right there. Yep. So the question was, does the topic of denomination, theology, why this church relationship, Presbyterian, yeah. whatever, is that part of the conversation earlier before you get trust, or does that not even come up as a question yeah. Yeah. until later? Because my experience is it sort of stops the process oftentimes. Um, say more about that. What do you mean? Like when people find out that you're... Kind of well, sometimes people have a priest, they've walked away from the church because of the hypocrisy they see, and they know one church denomination might be the worst in their mind for whatever reason. So when they find out what you are or what you think or what you're affiliated with, that will feed right into that preconceived notion yeah. of why they didn't like church yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 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 That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I would say... You know, it is possible that a lot of the people who go to Nova do not know that we're a Presbyterian church. I think we live it. Um, like, our theology is in our sermons and our way of being a church, and um, so it's there, but it's not going to be um, broadcasted. But we're not, we're not like, hiding it. Um, that's just not um, the first thing that we're talking about. And I would say it's probably true for us. Like, we would say we're followers of Jesus, first and foremost. Um, but I, yeah, yeah that's fine. I was just gonna say with um, with our core team of, of the people um, who came around to help us launch Nova, you know, we did have a lot of those conversations. Um, but those those are conversations that are, you know, those are people that um, are already committed followers of Jesus and. Um, wanted to be part of this vision. Uh, I think we're talking about people that are like on the, uh, you know, on this end of the spectrum, people who, you know, we're trying to build trust or encourage curiosity. Um, yeah, we're not, we're not gonna be bringing up, um, you know, the history of Presbyterianism. We're not gonna be talking about, you know, essential tenets, like the sorts of things, like it's like, no, we're, we're following Jesus, and we think Jesus is amazing, and, and Jesus will change your life if, if you let him. So, like, open your heart to Jesus. Like, that, that's, that, that's the conversation that we're having with people kind of on, on this, and, and also a lot of, like, you know, we are sorry for the ways that the church has um, done harm to, to you, um, and, and walking with people through that process and listening to their stories, and a lot of, like, yeah, apologizing. So, like those those are the sorts of things um, that we talk about. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. I hope it does. 
Chuck and Katie, one, I'll, I'll ask a question I was asked in the last meeting that I thought was very informative. And you just uh, mentioned, Chuck, that you've got an advisory committee. And you, in the last uh, session, you actually described how that's, that works today and how it relates to a typical Presbyterian structure that remains at Corona. Yeah. So if you, might, if you could walk through that, I think it'd be really helpful. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, when we set about planting Corona Church, um, yeah. sorry, yes, when we set about, when we set about planting Nova Church, uh, we worked with the session of Corona Presbyterian, and we, um, they basically empowered um, and commissioned a, a new body uh, called the steering committee or the steering team. And that steering team is made up of four, um, two of them are elders, um, and two of them are pastors. One, one is an elder from Corona, uh, an inactive elder from Corona Church. One is a, an elder from First Present Colorado Springs. One is a, a pastor in Eco's Presbytery of the West, and the other is a pastor in the Denver area who's a, a church planning coach. And so the, the four of them uh, serve as this, the steering team. Um, and so Corona's session has empowered them to uh, more directly oversee what's happening with, with NOVA. Um, ultimately, Corona session, we're still under their spiritual authority and they still have like ultimate say over what's happening, but they have given us a wide latitude um, under the supervision of that steering committee at steering team. And Katie and I have been given, you know, a wide latitude in terms of what we, how we lead in kind of the day-to-day -day matters. We bring concerns to, this, like, as we're working on a budget or as we're, like, dealing with different issues, we'll bring that to the steering committee and um, kind of navigate that that way. But the ultimate goal, because the goal is for NOVA to become its own um, self-actualized church. We want um, a self-governing church, self-supporting church, self-sustaining. The, the goal in that is to ultimately raise up elders from within the congregation of Nova. And as that happens, as we raise up those um, kind of proto-elders, um, they will step onto the steering team and the, the current members will roll off, and so there will be a, ultimately, the, the goal is to have NOVA having its own internal leadership. Um, your uh, targeted demographic seems to be an age that's extremely political, and wondering how these unchurched young people uh, that are so negative against even the word evangelical and anything that comes... Uh, represents abortion gays or however. So how are you walking that line? Well, ultimately, we, we're not, um, we don't want to be political, or we don't want to be partisan, but ultimately, you know, the kingdom of God is, is political. Um, and so I think we, yeah, we don't try to shy away from those subjects, but they're also not the first thing that we talk about. Um, that, that's not like a forefront thing that we're um, 
putting in front of people. And yeah, absolutely. Um, in our neighborhood, evangelical is, is a bad word. That's, that's not something that we, we would, that, and, and because it's identified as a political identity, not even a religious affiliation. Um, and so, yeah, when we talk about what Nova is, we say we are a gospel-centered church. That's, we are a gospel-centered church. So we, we um, don't identify ourselves as evangelical because there's, there's an, a, there is a, people supply the meaning of what that means to them and um, in, in our neighborhood. And so, yeah, we say we are about the gospel. We are centered on the gospel. We're about Jesus. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really important question that you're raising. And um, when Chuck says we don't want to be partisan, but we are, the, the kingdom of God is political and that it impacts our world. It has something to do with um, the city, with the spheres of life, with public life, right? And so we want to take our cues from scripture and what Jesus is saying, but we want to be faithful to that. Um, and so we want to be honest when, when scripture is calling us to repent of something or um, embrace something that makes you uncomfortable if you identify as a progressive or a conservative, because we're taking our cues from scripture. And so I think like Chuck said earlier, we are quick to confess the problems of the church. Like we're quick to say we're sorry, because we think we need to start there. <laughs> um, but we want to also talk about things. Here's the thing is the younger generations, they get upset when churches aren't talking about real things and aren't talking about things that people are struggling with and pain points in our world. And we believe that Jesus has something to say to those things. That's why justice is one of the signs um, of renewal that we're looking to be a part of. And so we want to open up space um, to talk about that. I'm curious if you have any thoughts about um, the Alpha course and using that, you know, after people have been in for a while. Yeah. Um, I, at First Press Colorado Springs, I help lead um, Alpha there. Um, love Alpha course. I don't know if we'll try that out down the road. I'm not sure. Um, we'll see. But yeah, big fan of Alpha. Um, so we're an older church. And say we were to do a church plant like yours in our church, and some of our older people came to some of those meetings, would that be detrimental to the feeling of young people meeting? You know, for us, I'm gonna like contextualize everything. I can't speak for y'all. For us, it was important for Nova to be its own church. And we're still in the early stages, right? I mean, we launched um, nine months ago. Um, so I think for us, it was really important to not overwhelm um, Nova with folks from Corona. Um, but by that, I mean overwhelm. I mean, I don't mean like, um, people being part of it or coming to visit or anything like that. But we wanted Nova to be able to develop its own identity as a distinct church. And I think our experience is, this is true for any generation, but for young adults wanting to connect with young adults. And so if you walk into a room and there's um, 40 people and five of them are young adults, that feels very different than if you walk into a room of 40 people and 30 of them are young adults, right? Like that feels very different. There's space to um, connect. I feel like you belong. I mean, any of us do that, right? We walk into a room, we scan. Do I belong here? Do I fit here? And we're trying to create space for young adults to say, I fit here. I belong here. I'd like to know how large um, Corona churches and how many pastors are you able to pastors or are you um, one of the team? Right. Yeah. 
good question. So I think post-COVID, I think there's probably about 55 people at Corona Church. Um, and it's Chuck and myself, and then we have a volunteer pastor, um, Ed Black, um, is there on staff. And then right now we have an interim worship director. Um, so it's, those make up the staff there. I wondered if you could describe your 5 p.m. gathering, what it's like, how it's, and you call it a worship service, or do you just tell us about it? Yeah, I tried pretty intentionally to use the word gathering. We call it a worship gathering. Um, yeah, we have a, a pretty simple liturgy, but we do, um, as I said earlier, um, believe in the power of like holy habits and practices that we take up um, together. And so, um, is there a picture of it? Um, music and song, um, sometimes we'll have confession. We try to incorporate ways of responding to God's word, so not just um, someone speaking at you uh, the whole time, but ways to um, engage. That could be prayer stations. So tonight we have a couple of prayer stations set up where people can get up and write out prayer requests. Other times it's maybe a more tactile experience where people are engaging. Sometimes it's reflection questions after the sermon, but some sort of space to really listen to what the Spirit is saying to you and what the Spirit is doing in your life. Um, as I mentioned, we like to have a meal. Over the summer, we had a meal or park hangout every Sunday night. For the new semester coming into the fall, it felt a little more sustainable if we had a meal together once a month. So last month, we did a Friendsgiving, and so the whole service was set up like this. People were around tables, and the meal was part of the actual worship gathering and part of what we were doing um, together. But I'd also say that our um, our worship gathering uh, is is kind of built around the the the, the movement uh, the, the the movement of um, kind of the the movements of performed worship. So you know we start in in adoration, we move to confession to prepare our hearts to receive God's word, we hear God's word read, then we hear God's word explained, and then we come to the table and we uh, receive communion together. And, and we respond to what we've heard, like Katie said, um, and we'll have different ways of doing that and trying to help people to engage and respond to God's word in different ways. But, but in that way, it's, it's actually like pretty um, historic and, and rooted in that sense. It's, it's very much part of the fabric of Performed worship. Are there any other questions? So, Katie and Chuck, as a, do you have one? Yeah. What sort of attendance do you have at a gathering? Yeah, yeah. This fall, it's more around uh, probably 25 or 30 people a night. Um, we started with a core team of 15 people. Now there's about 50 people who participate in the life of Nova. Um, we're learning all the attendance patterns for uh, churchgoers, especially younger generations, and what that looks like. Um, and we also want to make space for those who aren't interested in a church gathering. Like there was a young woman who I was connecting with earlier this year, and I would invite, him to, invite her to come to Nova, but she said it's really triggering for me to come back into um, a worship gathering space to hear these songs. And I said, okay, that's okay. Like, why, why don't you be part of a discipleship group? Like, so I think we're trying to be intentional in building other forms of community um, for folks who are not going to show up on a Sunday night. Yeah, we have a couple of people who are in discipleship groups who, who just don't feel comfortable coming to the worship gathering. And we say that's okay. Like, the goal is not to get people to show up to the worship gathering. The goal is to help people follow Jesus. Um, 
I can't remember the other thing I was going to say. So the other mic. Good point. So as a church body, how can we be praying for the two of you and your church? Um, I will mention, we have some info up here, our cards, uh, invite cards. There's these brochures that tell you a little bit more about NOVA. I would encourage you to grab that, maybe like putting it on your fridge. Um, that'll bring, bring us to your minds to pray for us, so feel free to grab those. Um, I didn't mention this during our presentation, but I think if y'all would pray for us, I mean, pray for our own um, formation. Um, I'm a big fan of Ruth Haley Barton, um, author and she talks about the most important thing you bring to your leadership is your own transforming self. Like the work that Jesus is doing in you is the most important thing you're gonna bring when you show up uh, to do ministry. And so I think for our own formation, I, I often will say what we're doing, it's really good, it's really fun, it's really hard. So if you would pray for us in all of those things, uh, for our marriage, there's horrible statistics about what church planning does to marriages, um, what church planning does to to kids, right? Like uh, our, you know. So pray for our boys. Pray for us. Uh, that would be that would be wonderful. Okay. Can I close in prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, we are just so grateful for this time with Katie and Chuck. Um, Lord, we are learning a lot. Lord, just ask that you put your hand on them and bless their ministry. That you would bless their marriage and and let it be a light to. Uh, an example of what a good marriage should be in a Christian context. Lord, we just ask that you surround them with fellowship uh, that loves the Lord. Uh, we ask that you continue to build their spiritual formation in a way that's healthy and glorifies you. We pray for their kids as well. Keep them safe. Keep the whole family safe from this COVID. Keep them uh, uh, healthy. Uh, and Lord, we just ask that uh, you, pray, you uh, pour your blessing out onto Nova Church and to Corona Church for staking that, that bold step forward in realizing what it would take for them to keep uh, your presence in the Corona neighborhood down in downtown Denver. Lord, we pray uh, for all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Yes. Thanks, y'all. Thank you so much.